Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. Minnesota Vikings, the NFL, football, yeah, football. Welcome to Purple Podcast. Welcome back to Mackie and Judd. Matthew Collar filling in today. Hope you had a very nice holiday. And uh, we've got something special for you here on the show. Sage Rosenfels, former NFL quarterback and my co-host on the Purple Podcast. We finally, Sage, get an opportunity to do a podcast in person. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, for those who listen to the Purple Podcast, I'm generally still sitting in bed. Uh, <laughs> I usually have the news on and my computer in front of me as we're looking things up as we're doing the podcast. Uh, and my dog is usually sleeping on a chair in my bedroom. So it's a little bit different situation here, and it's nice to be in studio, and and uh, I'm looking forward to this segment. So are you the person who dresses up your dog on Christmas? No, no. I did get my hair cut this year. I mean, it was it was needed badly. It was probably a month late haircut, so they had to really trim them down, which turned into uh, my Christmas present to my parents. My parents watch my dog on occasion, especially when I travel, and uh, they've sort of, sort of adopted him, and it's almost like a second parents type of thing. It's great for retired people to have a, a pet in the house. And so my parents got a, I believe it's a 16 by 24 picture, canvas picture of my dog, <laughs> oh, a slash nice. of their dog, and it's right after his haircut, so he's all... He's looking perfect. Uh, he's like a little supermodel uh, for dogs, <laughs> and uh, and they I thought it was a great present for them, and they were very happy with it. Now, your dog is a Bernese Mountain Dog, is that right? A my dog is a mini Bernadoodle, so that'd be a <laughs> so that'd be a mini poodle uh, father mixed with a Bernese Mountain Dog mother. So no, that was not a natural uh, <laughs> conception type of situation. Uh, so does that. Well, the, the, the mountain dogs have the long hair and the poodles have the short hair. So what is it? Which one? Uh, so yeah, no shedding. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, he gets like shaggy hair is what he sort of gets. It's, uh, it sort of clumps together a little bit. Uh, it's sort of curly. It's very soft. He's basically a teddy bear that has a heartbeat <laughs> is basically what he is. So, uh, he's adorable. Bernie is his name. It, it, was, it was very, uh, it, the search took a few weeks, actually, with my kids. And then I, Bernie just seemed easy because he is the, the Bernie's uh, mix, and uh, it's worked out well. So he's a great dog, doesn't shed, which I really like. Uh, you know, I, there is this difference between, by the way, Minneapolis and Omaha, where I live, 
is, you know, in Minneapolis, once the winter gets here, for the most part, it just stays winter. Now, this year seems a little different, but usually the snow hits and the snow is there until, you know, April or something like that. So as your dog goes outside, you know, it comes in, it just had, you know, snow on his paw, on his or her paws, right? In Omaha, since we're a few hours south, we have that, you know, freeze, thaw, freeze, thaw. So lots of snow. Oh my God! Unbelievable. <laughs> There's mud all the time, and it's just so it's we're in a constant state of basically mud and sand <laughs> and wind and grayness in Omaha in the winter. Here, you at least have that uh, that nice snow to look at. So, uh, in some ways, it's colder up here, but in some ways, I feel like the Minneapolis winters are are they're at least more consistent than those Omaha winters. Yeah. Um, well, that's like your um, your quarterback who's consistently. Not that great. <laughs> so it's like, well, it's Andy Dalton of uh, of quarterbacks. Just like consistently, yeah, okay, it's not too bad. But I always say about Minnesota, if it wasn't, you know, 10 below for two months, then everyone would want to live here. Yeah, so, it keeps like, the riffraff right. out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, the, all those people that came up here for the Super Bowl last year, which is, you know, we're coming up. It's been about 11 months since that. Yeah. The whole world, NFL world came to town, and it was one of the coldest weeks of the year, I think, last year. It was like it was. high of five degrees. I, I would watch Albert Breer, who goes out for a run every morning. Albert writes for uh, Sports Illustrated, and, and he would have these, like, who could live up here? You know, it's like negative three degrees as he's going for a 7 a.m. run. And But Minnesotans were like, oh, this is perfect, because then all those people will never come back. That's and we'll, right. And we'll keep it to ourselves. I jog outside all winter. Uh, I like jogging outside. I, I feel like it makes me run faster to try and get back home. And I, and I don't like the treadmill. Well, they say that's better for you. Actually, you're really supposed to run for like twenty, thirty minutes, right? Because uh, it's because long term, you know, for your knees and your hips and your ankles and things like that, you know, the pounding on the pavement's not good for you. And you know, anything that you can get that heart rate up fast and keep it high, I almost feel like the people that run for an hour and a half and they run for ten, twelve miles, you mm-hmm. know, every single day. I feel like their heart rate's probably just hovering at 70 the entire time and maybe not getting the, getting the workout done. <laughs> I like to run fast for about five minutes and then I'm done. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much, and then I just walk and I act like I ran the whole time, but then I just walk <laughs> for like another 10 and I go back home. I, I just get so bored on the treadmill that I, I just, I like to be outside and look at stuff and, and have the, the headphones in and listen to podcasts while I'm jogging around. Dodge traffic occasionally keeps you on your toes. The, the treadmill is just, it's so dull. That I've I, actually I just, gotten into during my, my workouts, uh, whether I'm lifting weights or jogging the treadmill or whatever, to listen to more podcasts than music. I, purple podcast is okay for me, but for some reason, the, yeah, the purple podcast in particular, because I want to <laughs> go back and really study what we did right and wrong, like, our, <laughs> like just like film sessions when I was playing football. But no, I li- I just like listen to podcasts. Sometimes they're mystery podcasts or other sports podcasts or, or whatever. I do like the part of my take guys i think they're pretty dang funny on a monday you know it's a nice thing that they because they go over the whole sort of sunday thing and you know it almost helps with the with the recap of the entire weekend's football games and so uh, I, I i yeah i've gone from sort of music to podcast during my workouts so let me uh switch gears from our personal workouts to what's going to happen with the minnesota vikings here I, i'm curious about your take kirk cousins today was talking about 
big games and the anxiety that he feels. And he was talking about how it can even be a good thing at times for a quarterback to feel a little anxiety before a game because it kind of focuses him or, or whatever it might be. And I was reading Bruce Arians' book, and he was talking about how Peyton Manning would have this issue with big games where he would get fidgety and nervous before the game, and it was kind of up to Bruce, who was his quarterback coach at the time, to help him calm down. Uh, did did you have that before big games, or is it kind of that way with every game where it's uh, anxiety-inducing? Because I, I feel like this one, all eyes are going to be on Kirk Cousins at U.S. Bank Stadium on Sunday. You know, I interesting enough, I was really nervous for all my games early in my career. And then as my career went on, uh, and the more I played, the less nervous I got for every game. And then, strangely, near the end of my career, Really, I would say um, after about when I got to after I after I left uh, Minnesota and went to New York, I got really nervous again, like, hmm. you know, almost word that I was going to have to play or whatever. I think, you know, it had bounced around so much and you start to, uh, you know, offenses are get more and more challenging to learn because you know, I feel like I was learning new offense every year. So like I never really, really knew it well. You know, it's that whole, you know, bounce around thing at the end and you never really get great at it. You know, I felt like when I stayed in those spots in Miami and Houston during that stretch for multiple years, you just be, you're really, really comfortable. But so, so there's different aspects of when I was nervous in my career for different reasons, you know, Favre would definitely be way more nervous uh, on those big games, like that game at Green Bay, he was really nervous for uh, when he first returned. When he first like- returned, but then you know, we played at St. Louis when they were terrible, and and he was you know totally telling jokes in the locker room and sort of holding court. And it's almost like, man, Brett, you know, take it a little more seriously. This is this this reminds you of a situation that you know when you come out and we play terrible and we lose, you know. But he, then he played great, like he was loose and relaxed. So I think everyone, every quarterback is different. Um, you know, I, I, I think it can really help me to focus. You know, I was, I wasn't nervous, but I was super focused. Uh, I remember for some of the, some of the bigger games in my career, I remember like the bowl game or something you get nervous for. Uh, you have, a, you know, you have about what, five weeks or something to prepare mm-hmm. for it. So that almost like builds up the nervousness, but I played really well in that. And I felt like that was a good nervous, you know, for that bowl game. You're just hyper focused. And so, you know, we'll, we'll see with him. I'm hoping that, you know, we, the, the Vikings don't have to count on him to go out there and be the savior. And I think that's the key. If, if we're really thinking that, you know, Kirk has to, is going to have to throw the ball 40 or 45 or 50 times a game to win it, which will make a quarterback nervous because, like, all right, the whole weight of the world's on, our sh- on your shoulders. That, that'll make you nervous. But if he's like, listen, I got to go out there and we're going to run the rock. I'm going to do some play action. I got to be smart with the football and not take chances you know, punt, uh, you know, live to see another day. I got to think you feel much better in that type of situation and not having the whole, you know, the, the weight of the whole world on your shoulders. It does seem like from a personality standpoint and, and how they handle some of these situations, he is a little bit different from someone like Case Keenum, where you felt like Keenum almost didn't realize how big it was or, or it was just his personality to just go out there and play no matter what and nothing ever, ever got to him. But with Kirk, it seems like he feels the pressure and he seems to me like he's an overthinker like he is so incredibly prepared for everything that he can almost be like the person who stays up all night for the test and then they have to get up and go and then they're exhausted yeah no i know absolutely guy well there's a reason 
these teams give you these uh, psychological studies and, and not just the wonder look. I mean, the wonder look is a supposed like, you know, sort of smart, easy 12 minute test. Um, and there's that, you know, people use a phrase guys that are too smart or athletes that are too smart. They're over, that, really, you're talking about being an overthinker, mm-hmm. right? But that's how Kirk has always functioned in his whole career. It's led him to success in college, led him to success so far in the NFL, enough success where he's making $28 million a year. You're not going to get a guy like that to all of a sudden say, hey, loosen up. Don't study so much. <laughs> right, Don't worry right. about every little detail. Kirk is a very detailed person. Now, on the opposite side, uh, Favre and a lot of other you know guys, they're they're looser. They're not into the, the fine details. You know, I, I'm not sure how much Philip Rivers is in the fine details. You think he seems like he just sort of goes out there and, and sort of makes it happen sometimes and competes. Mm-hmm. You know, and it gets gritty and it's not all about execution, execution, execution. But Kirk has has his success in really more execution style football and in quarterbacking over playmaking. You know, when you leave it up to just playmaking. That's when he's probably got in trouble. Other guys do very, very well. They've always mm-hmm. done well in that sort of playmaking role. You know what Rodgers does and Russell Wilson does, and so I think what what Kirk does is try to uh, execute by anticipation. And anticipation then takes really understanding and really studying and all the details and all the protections and what, you know and, and maybe overthinking it sometimes, trying to get all those details to put yourself uh, your, in your best position to be successful. So. It's, he's not going to change. That's the type of guy he is. I, I assume the Vikings knew that bringing him in. You know, he's, and I don't want to call him an OCD person, but, you know, that type of person who's just not a wheeler and a dealer, you know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think he actually gets in trouble trying to be that personality mm-hmm. where, hey, I'm going to try to, you know, make this throw and make this play because I could, you know, but it's really not who he is and what he does well. And, and I, I think he does get in trouble. When he tries to sort of wheel and deal and, and uh, you know, create and do too much, and that's when bad things happen. So let's take a quick break, and uh, Matthew Collar in for Mackie and Judd, Sage Rosenfels. We finally got him in studio, and so we're very happy to have you up here in uh, Minneapolis, Sage. Um, or are we technically in St. Paul, Jonathan? So what are we in? Same. Okay, right, we're technically in St. Paul. Well, either way, uh, very glad to have you up here in studio. And I want to get into the ways Kevin Stefanski is protecting Kirk Cousins and how the Vikings cannot repeat the mistakes that they made the last time they faced the Chicago Bears. So we'll talk about that when we come back. Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels here in studio for Mackie and Judd.
All right, back here on 1500 ESPN, Matthew Collar filling in for Mackie and Judd, former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfels in studio. Jonathan has informed me that half of our building is in Minneapolis and the other half is in St. Paul. So I guess I was both right and wrong uh, in the last segment. So, um, Sage, I want to get into some of the nitty-gritty here with you and what you've seen from Kevin Stefanski because I know that uh, throughout the year, you and I on the Purple Podcast had talked a lot about what they could do better offensively. And I feel like that ball really got rolling with us after the Chicago game, where they didn't run the ball at all. They didn't stop Khalil Mack at all. They let Akeem Hicks ruin their game plan. What do you think the biggest thing Kevin Stefanski will change about this week's game plan against the Bears from last week? Or not last week, last time they played. Well, you know, I'm not... I think that they're just going to have a certain philosophy with whoever they play. I think that's their sort of going forward. This is going to be our philosophy, and it's really going to be – they've got that patience in particular this week because this is the best defense they've played of the three games that Kevin Stefanski is going to be the OC here. But what has worked so far has been quarterback under center. It's been trying to run the football, sometimes with success, obviously more in that Miami game. Uh, not quite as much last week, but continue to pound that rock and get those ones and twos. And then off of that, the, some play action, some bootleg, you know, keep Kirk out of trouble. What, by the way, what, what was encouraging in the last game was they had on a drive, I, this is the second half, but they had a drive where they sort of overcame a couple penalties and came back and got some first downs and up scoring on that drive. And that was very encouraging that last game. That's one of those things that have gotten them in trouble this year, you know, first and 20s and second and 17s and things like that. But I, I think they're going to continue. By the way, the Bears have not been scoring a ton of points lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, they won 14-9 to last week, I believe. So I think they're going to play the patience game and continue to try to you know run the football and, 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 and play action and only be in shotgun when they sort of have to be in shotgun when it just has to be a passing situation. And you know, really limit Kirk's exposure to that, you know, that pick six, that fumble six, uh, you know, whatever it might be, and, and give the ball to Dalvin Cook and give the ball to Latavius Murray, uh, you know, and, and hopefully, you know, you never know. And by the way, uh, uh, Mitchell Trubisky, I watch every one of his games this year. He has games where he turns the ball over two or three or four or five mm-hmm. times too. It seems like. I mean, there's games where he'll throw one interception, but at least three should have been intercepted. I mean, right two guys. So he will turn the ball over, and if the environment's hostile, and, and we're playing this tight football game, and our defense is getting some stomps, and uh, you know, I think they're just going to be patient and patient and patient, and hope at the end that they just the, the Vikings, you know, make more plays and, and stay out of the bad ones. That that's going to be enough to beat the Chicago Bears. And so, you know, what would be really really nice um, is if the Eagles are like down are. You know, uh, down by or not the Eagle. I'm trying to think who the Bears, the Rams, the Rams. If the right. Rams are like up by four yes. touchdowns and the Bears have no shot at it, and ha- that would be really nice. And the Bears would just rest their starters right. and go into the playoffs. Because if they, by the way, if they do both make the playoffs, they probably play against each other. Correct. Is what we're thinking the yep. following week, which this this seems to happen about every other year of the NFL, mm-hmm. where a Week 17 game turns into a playoff game as well. Um, so I, I think they're going to try to stay out of trouble, stay out of that negative play, punt the football. You know, the Bears have been playing more of that grinded out style of football lately. By the way, that style has been so much more successful around the league over the course of second and a half of the season. I always look at the NFL, you know, what is it, what the stats and the quarterbacks and who's playing well and the hot teams, you know, September and October are different between November, December and January. Mm-hmm. But as you see lately, who are the hot teams? Baltimore, 
They throw the ball like 20 times a game. Mm -hmm. Seattle, they throw the ball like 24 times a game. And they're grinding out with running game, with defense. Those are the hot teams who's struggling right now. Kansas City's lost two in a row, I believe, right? And they throw the ball all over the place. So maybe that style is just more conducive end of the year. I know it's in the dome and everything, but you know that does win games. It's not pretty. It can be even boring to watch, but it does win football games. It really feels like also the NFL decided early on that it was a little too crazy when it came to all the penalties that they were calling, and they've really let them play as we've gone along, which I think has benefited the defense. You also get you know your injuries and things like that, and defenses adjust. You know teams come up with something new schematically. Like a good example, the Rams using the fake jet sweeps all the time, but then against the Bears, the Bears figured that out and just didn't chase that guy and instead stuffed Todd Gurley every time he ran up the middle. So that's one of my favorite parts is just watching the adjustments. And that's where I'm curious, too. The running ability of Mitch Trubisky on third down was a big deal in beating the Vikings back in November. How do you stop that? Or how have teams stopped that when they've faced him? You said you've watched every game. Yeah, no, the teams have struggled to. He does just seem to, about twice a game, uh, make a big run with his legs. And it's a run that, you know, if, if let's just say Kirk Cousins runs it, it's going to get you seven or eight, but Trubisky might get you almost 20. I mean, he really is an exceptional athlete. He's mm-hmm. a much better athlete than he is a thrower. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. He has a strong arm. It's pretty inaccurate. Um, so it sort of goes all over the place. He misses guys that are wide open. He misses guys a lot of times where his trouble occurs is on these sort of seam routes, what we call a deep cross. You know, guys, a tight end or someone starts on the right side and goes to the left, mm-hmm. uh, sort of the left hash at about 18 to 25 yards. And he seems to overthrow those players a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the seam routes right into like a safety's lap. Yeah. That's where he seems to get in trouble. And so, uh, but when he runs, I mean, he outruns linebackers. He's outrun safeties. Teams will rush three and, and drop a fourth lineman to just sort of hang out, but he's really just spying Trubisky or middle linebacker. And sometimes, sometimes he outruns those guys. Uh, he's he's a, just a very good runner. He's he's deadly near the, the goal line. It's one of those situations where they'll definitely actually do the zone read stuff and actually call runs for mm-hmm. him near the goal line. He's a really, really good athlete. And, um, you know, I think if, if you could, if you can try to stop the run and then force the Bears to try to throw the ball and throw for 350 yards, I think that would be in the Vikings' favor. So this is why I am going to pick the Vikings for this game. Not only because I do think there's a possibility the Rams are up by three scores and then you see the Chicago Bears looking up the scoreboard and saying, okay, Chase Daniel, get ready to go, brother. Um, but even if that doesn't happen, that inexperienced quarterbacks in U.S. Bank Stadium against this Vikings defense have done so poorly, even if they've had other good games, like or, or even just guys who aren't the elite quarterbacks, Ryan Tannehill, Matt Stafford, those guys come into the stadium and have such a tough time against this defense. And with the fact that Trubisky has been inaccurate, and even against the Vikings, he tried to give them the game back by throwing two interceptions. I just have a really tough time seeing him put up a bunch of points against the Vikings. This feels like it could be like a 10-7 type of game. It could be, but he may not have to. You know why? Because like Khalil Mack might put up seven right. points. Right, right, right. right. And, and maybe, it's, maybe it's not Khalil, App, Khalil Mack him, him, himself uh, you know, getting those points, but it's him causing a bad throw that ends up being a pick six or, or, uh, or creating a fumble that somebody else returns for a touchdown or just in great field goal position. I mean, it's amazing when I'm watching that Bears film and I'm watching the coach's copy, so... 
you know, it's not the commercials and the people talking. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. A, it's a different view and the whole thing. But how many times drives start in the red zone? Like, oh, the Bears obviously <laughs> right. got some sort of turnover right. by the other team, and they're on the 15-yard. Happens a lot. And so he gets short fields a lot. Again, mm-hmm. if, if we can make him go 80 yards. And now they have weapons, by the way. Chicago's offense is really fun to watch. I, it's sort of a poor man's version uh, of Kansas City's, I would say, except mm-hmm. for Tariq Cohen is like this X factor that is just, yes. you have to play sort of nickel against him. He will destroy any linebacker in the league in a one-on-one. But teams play nickel against him, and they'll have two running backs in the game. He's a receiver sometimes. He's a running back sometimes. They can use him on those jet sweeps, and they do give him the ball on jet sweeps. He's good on screens. Mm-hmm. He's good on uh, on wheel routes and things out of the backfield. They run corners with him out of the backfield, which you don't see very often uh, from a running back. He is an X factor, and how the Bears or how the Vikings try to defend against him is it more zone? You know, type stuff. So everyone's eyeing the football. Uh, you know, you saw what was that game a few weeks ago? Oh, the, the Giants when the when the Bears came back and almost beat the Giants. Yes. They try to play man to man coverage late in that mm-hmm. game. Is Chase Daniel brought him back from I believe ten points with just a couple minutes left. Yep. And he Tariq Cohen ran right past safeties two or three times and made huge plays. And, and the best way to stop a guy like that, an explosive player, is zone defense. You know, c- cover two. I call quarters where all eyes are sort of back at the quarterback. And mm-hmm. when somebody does break free, everyone can really rally to the football. Man to man, which is what the Vikings do more often than not, uh, can get them in trouble. So I can see a heavy dose of what they call zone cover three. Mm-hmm. Cover three zone. Bring, bring the safety Harrison or whoever down into the box so you do have enough guys to stop the run uh, and maybe give those free access throws on the outside, uh, but, you know, sort of make them earn it and, and you'll have, you know, they'll stop the run and, uh, and you'll, you know, you won't have to have that man coverage, which Cohen and, and a lot of other guys can, can take advantage of. Uh, anyone who has listened to our podcast knows that, <clears throat> excuse me, you like to say stuff and then I confirm it with statistics. So let me give you this. The uh, turnover percentage for Chicago defense, number one in the NFL. So the number one amount of uh, the opposing teams drive to turn into turnovers, and their average offensive drive start is sixth in the NFL. So you are very right that they are getting a lot so of those. So that's like this, for those who don't listen to our podcast, this is pretty much That's it. what it is. I go yes. with like my gut and like what I'm seeing, and then you sprout me the numbers that mo- sometimes confirm it. More often I feel like confirm it, yes. but not always. But uh, it's amazing how... You know, I wasn't trained with stats and don't don't stare at stats all the time. And I'm not great, and you're such a great researcher uh, of it, and it sort of seems to work out. And you confirm a lot of these things that we that we talk. We've been talking about all season. You know, mm-hmm. things yep. with Kirk and things with the our offense and things with the the Vikings defense and what we're good at. I just go off of what I see, uh, and you're so so good with the stats. So another thing that we do on our podcast, which uh, you can download 1500ESPN.com or on your phone, where there's that little podcast app, if you don't know how to use that is the journeyman quarterback of the week so now usually we spend a lot of time on it because it's hilarious and we love going through the histories of some of these guys now we're on live radio here sage so we've only got a minute for kyle orton who is our journeyman quarterback of the week let me tell you a quick kyle orton story he signed with the bills nearly brought them back to the playoffs but came a little bit short and after the season, refused to do his final media press conference after the last game and instead went on Buffalo Bills radio and retired and then walked away without ever talking. 
Perfect. He just said, that's it. I'm retiring from football. He has not been heard from since. Everybody has their <laughs> own walk away from the NFL moments. And I guess when you know, you know. Uh, Kyle, I know him uh, extremely well. He's from uh, the Des Moines, Iowa area. He and I used to do football camps together at his high school, Southeast Polk, uh, just outside of Des Moines. And uh, he married a, a gal from... Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So when he retired, he was, I'd see him on Facebook, golf in Louisiana. But now he's moved back up. Uh, the family has moved back up to uh, the Des Moines area again. So it's nice to have Kyle back in the Midwest. I tell you what, a guy who was a, a fourth round pick out of Purdue, you know, I asked him one time, how come you didn't go to Iowa State? And he goes, because the, my first game as a Purdue quarterback, as a freshman, I threw the ball 62 times. So I was like, well, I see, I see why he went to Purdue. You know, it's that Joe Tiller uh, offense that Drew Brees ran. And so he had a great career for a fourth rounder, uh, you know, had a nice, did a nice job with the Bears. I, he was the third string quarterback, but I think behind Grossman, Brian Greasy, yep. and then Kyle Orton with the Bears, uh, and then was a free agent and, and uh, you know, it was in Denver. I uh, had some good years in Denver, made some really good money there. Uh, he, uh, I think J- he was the quarterback and for one year with Josh McDaniels. And then there's the whole Tebow thing. Yes. Uh, so that was, that worked his way out of Denver. Uh, he was in Buffalo. He was in Dallas. Uh, at the end of his at the end of yep. his career, yep. uh, as well. So he had a couple of the like sort of sort of farvish like retired, not really yes. caring, and then like somebody I, I'm not going to training camp, and then somebody would sign him after an injury, and he'd come in and play really well. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, he was a great thrower uh, of the football. Really smart guy, um, uh, and yeah, good accurate passer. Not a great athlete, but uh, he sort of played with a chip on his shoulder. You know, he sort of you could call him almost not a, a, a cocky uh, the way he played, which I which I enjoyed watching play. He was one, he was a gunslinger, one of those guys that gave you a chance, but also might throw three or four interceptions. Uh, if you use Google, you can find pictures of Kyle Orton with a mustache and a stogie after a win uh, when he was a member of the Bills. Sort of speaks to the gunslinger. My favorite stat for Kyle Orton was that he took over as a starter in 2005 and went 10 and 5 despite having a 59 quarterback rating. <laughs> this is for the Bears. For the Bears, for, for the 2005, Bears. yes. They had that great defense. I think that was the year Dick Duran won the coach of the year. And he threw nine touchdowns, 13 picks, 5.1 yards per attempt, and they won 10 games. <laughs> and I believe, I believe his offensive coordinator uh, was Norv Turner's brother. Uh, really? Yeah, who used to be the head coach at Illinois. I can't I can't world. think of his first name. Um but uh yeah, their offense was not very good. I remember talking to to Brian Greasy about, you know, their offense and stuff and and uh he would say, "Yeah, it's not the it's not the most dynamic creative offense I've ever been in." So, uh you congrats to Kyle Orton. By the way, made a ton of money as a, as yes. a career backup. Uh, you know, the years he was starting in Denver, had some really nice contracts and and made, you know, made his his coin. Now he's enjoying himself raising his kids back in his hometown. I'm sure playing plenty of golf uh, and enjoying his family. So, that's the nice thing is that my guess he's not going to have long term, you know, uh, uh, knee issues and shoulder issues and mm-hmm. concussion issues because you know he oh, he did play a lot he yeah he had no, a lot of starts in his career yeah. but you know you, you 82, never 82, 82 starts, starts. Yeah. so you know you never really make that huge now it's twenty five million dollars a year uh, but you also don't have all the uh, the physical issues as well so, so hats off to my fellow Iowan Kyle Orton we uh, always dig up something. 
in their Wikipedia, in a journeyman quarterback Wikipedia that's great. And I'll, I'll finish off our segment with this. Kyle Orton once said that he would be interested in someday running for U.S. Congress. Yeah, I can see that. I believe his da- his dad in Des Moines um, works Iowa with Labor the, Commission. Yeah, well, Iowa, yes. he works with the unions and things like mm-hmm. that. So he and I would talk some politics uh, when we get together for our golf. Our uh, we would do a golf tournament and a football, a couple football camps, and so Orton for Congress, man. Orton for Congress, maybe that's the deal. The Orton Rosenfeld's ticket, they, right. or, or for governor. <laughs> Uh, well, weirder governors have happened uh, in the world, say, like in this state. So, uh, Sage, it was awesome to have you up. I hope your family had a, a very nice holiday. And uh, we will talk with Lawrence Holmes of 670, uh, the score in Chicago, shortly to continue to preview this game. So we'll be back. Matthew Collar here in for Mackie and Judd. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. 